In this episode, Mike Fu spoke about his translation journey. Books from Taiwan, an organization which supports translations of uh, Taiwanese literature into English. His translation of uh, writer Sarmao's book, Stories from Sahara. Mike Fu is a Tokyo-based writer, editor and a Chinese to English translator. He is the co-founder and translation editor of English language journal, The Shanghai Literary Review. And the English editor of bilingual art criticism magazine, Hai Chi. Fu's translation of Stories of the Sahara by the late writer San Mao was published by Bloomsbury. Please share your feedback on this episode either on the Spotify app or through the link provided in the show notes. You can follow Harshaniyam Podcast on Spotify, Apple or search any of your favorite podcasting apps. Welcome to our podcast, Mike. Thank you for accepting our invitation. Thank you, Anil, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and talk with you today. Please uh, tell us about uh, Taiwanese writer Sun Mao. Yeah, Sun Mao is the pen name of a very influential writer and cultural icon from the 20th century. She was born in 1943 in Chongqing, China, southwest China. And then she fled with her family to Taiwan in the end of the 40s. And so she grew up in Taiwan and came of age there. And eventually in the 60s, she had opportunities to go to study abroad in Europe. She landed in Spain for a most significant chunk of that time. And she'd always been interested in writing throughout her life. And as a young woman, she began publishing stories in literature magazines in Taiwan in that era. And but what, what really propelled her into the limelight, you could say, was this collection of stories that later became known as Stories of the Sahara that she wrote while she was living in what was then the Spanish Sahara, the last colony of the Spanish Empire in Western Africa. And she recounts through these tales kind of her daily life with her husband, Jose, um, a Spaniard, um, while living in this uh, Spanish-administered colony in a mostly Arab land and navigating the trials and tribulations of life uh, during that time. This was in the early 70s. And so when this book was um, published as a full volume in 1976, it really caught a lot of critical attention and established her as, as a writer to be watched. And throughout her life, she would go on to publish more than 20 volumes of nonfiction primarily, and travelogues and that type of writing. So Sanma was very active in the Taiwanese literary sphere in the 70s and 80s. And sadly, she took her own life in 1991. But she left behind a lot of works and an incredible influence on many generations of young people in the Chinese-speaking world. Now, please introduce us to the book uh, Stories of Sahara. As mentioned, Stories of the Sahara is a collection of the writings that she produced while living in Spanish Sahara in the early 1970s. Originally, what's interesting about this collection is that she the, the stories themselves were originally serialized in um, the United Daily News uh, newspaper in Taiwan. So you can imagine these as like missives that she sent off from Western Africa and then ended up published for 
uh, daily newsreaders in Taiwan in the 70s. And I think these were popular and um, compelling enough for a local readership that eventually it led to the publication of a collection of the whole collection as a, as one volume called Stories of the Sahara. Although this is a bit granular, but I should mention that there were actually two books originally. There was one called Stories of the Sahara and one called Crying Camels. And both sets of stories were merged into one volume in later editions in Chinese, known just as Stories of the Sahara. And the English translation that I did basically pulls from the this sort of conglomerate volume of both both sets of stories. But yeah, these are both basically like slices of life, vignettes of Samao living with Jose in what's currently a territory administered by Morocco and Mauritania. These are kind of snapshots of her domestic situation. A bunch of the stories are quite lighthearted in tone and talking about her trying to make do with limited ingredients and cooking Chinese food for her husband or navigating the bureaucracies of trying to get a driver's license, having cultural encounters and maybe mishaps with her neighbors. But then there are some significant chapters in this book, in this collection that um, are quite more serious and somber in tone, where she addresses and portrays the delicate political situation of the Spanish Sahara at the time. What would happen in the mid-70s is the Spanish Sahara, what was then called the Spanish Sahara, is the home of the indigenous Sahrawi people. And there was a movement for autonomy and decolonization during that period. Eventually, Spain relinquished control of their final territory in the mid-1970s, but it wasn't without a violent struggle on the part of the native Sahrawi people. So it's interesting in some respect for Samo to be a sort of bystander to many of these political, these situations of political turmoil as they were happening, and for her to write about it from her very unique and blinkered vantage point in some ways. But she still chronicles this region in a way that I think is quite special. She wrote it in Chinese Mandarin. Yes, that's correct. Are there other variants of Chinese too? I heard uh, Cantonese uh, Chinese, Hun Chinese. I think I guess there are other variants of uh, Chinese language. Yes, um, Chinese is really like a family of languages more than a single one. And people who speak Cantonese from Hong Kong, let's say, or southern China, um, it's basically mutually unintelligible with Mandarin. Um, that's the standard variety in uh, mainland China, um, Taiwan, and Singapore as well. So it's quite a widespread, um, yeah. So Mandarin Chinese is spoken in uh, mostly mainland China, Singapore, and Taiwan, is it? Yes, that's correct. That's the official or standard language, but there are, of course, many different dialects and, yeah, language families. So you have literature in both Cantonese and also in Mandarin Chinese. You could say something like that. It's a bit tricky to talk about, and I'm definitely not an expert here. But when we talk about Mandarin and Cantonese, usually we refer to the spoken variety of the language. When it comes to writing, there's two sets of characters, as you may know. There's simplified Chinese and traditional Chinese, and that refers to just the script itself. And here in mainland China and Malaysia and Singapore, simplified Chinese is the script that's used, while Taiwan and Hong Kong use traditional characters. But in terms of differences between, I don't think we can call it like Mandarin writing per se. A writer from Hong Kong will write stuff that 
a Chinese, anyone who's literate in Chinese would be able to read for the most part, right? There might be some expressions and things that are quite different. But that said, I think Cantonese as a spoken language is extremely different from spoken Mandarin. So there's some kind of minutia and like things there that are a bit challenging to parse <laughs> coming from a non-linguistics background. So when and how did you start translating? How did you develop a love for language learning? You know a lot of other languages too. Thanks, Sunny. I, I wouldn't say I know a lot of other languages, but I guess I've always been interested in language to an extent. Or I should clarify that Chinese was my first language. I was born in China, but because I grew up in the U.S., English quickly became my dominant language as a child. And long story short, it wasn't until I was an adult in my early 20s, pursuing a graduate program in East Asian languages and cultures that I became interested in really, let's say, rehabilitating my Chinese. And in grad school, while doing my master's, I really spent a lot of time, yeah, brushing up on my Chinese, mostly I would say literacy. I've always had some degree of literacy growing up in some Chinese language schools on the weekend. But as anyone who comes from this background can attest, when you go to a Chinese language school or whatever language school on the weekend for just an hour or two, it really is not your, it's not something that most children are passionate about, let's say. So for me, it was a journey, I think, into adulthood and then reflecting on my own cultural identity for lots of personal and familial reasons that led me to come back around to wanting to embrace and embrace Chinese and really become interested in translation as part of that journey. Uh, your first work of translation from translating to publishing and how did you choose the book to translate? Please tell us about the journey. Yeah, so it's a very long one and I'll spare all the the boring details for your, for your um, listeners, but Essentially, I was given the stories of the Sahara um, in Chinese by a friend um, for my birthday in 2011. And it was actually the first time I encountered Samao's work because I'd grown up mostly in the U.S. And so I dipped, my, my knowledge of Chinese literature, let's say, was quite stunted. And I started reading her book while I was working in New York and I remember taking the book with me on my commutes to and from work, and I was really just captivated by her writing and her perspective in a way that was quite shocking, in a good way. And essentially, I became interested in translating the work um, almost immediately, and I was shocked to discover that um, that she had never been translated into English, despite her very big influence in the Chinese-speaking world. Uh, this led me on a years-long journey to understand the publishing industry, the role of translators, agents, and other people. Suffice to say, I think I was just at the right place at the right time. I got very lucky and was able to connect with a Taiwanese agent by the name of Gray Tan, who is very active in publishing and especially in sharing works of Taiwanese literature with international audiences, right? And he and I connected years later when he came to represent Samao's estate for this title. He knew that I had some sample chapters that I'd done independently, and I happily shared those with him that he then used to take to the international publishing market. And he was able to sell the rights to 
translates stories of the Sahara into English, Spanish, and Dutch. I think we're in the first in the first round or so. And then after that, through my connection with Gray, I was also able to pitch myself as a translator to Bloomsbury UK, the publisher that oversaw the English project. And luckily, thankfully, Bloomsbury finally selected me to do this book. So I was very honored to be part of that. Tell us about Alta Mentorship. No, it was just a thing I did a few years ago, and it was a really wonderful experience. I got to work with a translator by the name of Jenna Tang, who has an amazing book coming out next year. And ALTA, for those of you who aren't familiar with the acronym, is the American Literary Translators Association. They're an annual conference in November each year and have lots of programs and resources to support both emerging and established translators. And yeah, I was honored to be tapped to be the mentor in this program for translation from Chinese to English in prose from Taiwan. And Jenna had has a project that's a very influential work of contemporary Taiwanese literature that she and I were able to engage in a months-long dialogue about. Um, so this mentorship took place entirely remotely, like on Zoom and through other digital channels. But I felt like we were able to establish a great rapport and really go over a lot of draft translations and things with a fine-tooth comb. And for people who are interested in language and want this sort of like space to have a one-on-one ongoing dialogue and discussion about language and translation and just like uh, idioms, all these sort of like very intensely granular points when it comes to working between languages. I felt it was really rewarding and exciting and um, great to get to know another person at this deep level. So her book is coming uh, next year. Yes, the book is called Fang Siji's First Love Paradise, and it concerns a really influential author and work that kind of sparked the Me Too movement in Taiwan, maybe about five or six years ago. You also work for a Shanghai Literary Review. Yes, so the Shanghai Literary Review was a magazine that was founded by my really good Julie Min, um, who's based in Shanghai currently. Um, we established the magazine in... Early 2017, um, as a platform for English language writing and uh, artwork from around the world, um, this was really Julie's way of shoring up a literary community in Shanghai for the English-speaking uh, audiences. I was working as the translation editor of the journal from its inception until its most recent issue, it's been a really wonderful journey. We've been able to share so many interesting works of fiction and poetry, nonfiction, book reviews, wide variety of things from people all over the world. And as the translation editor, I was able to introduce works from translated from Spanish, Chinese, Tagalog, German, Japanese, a whole host of languages. And it was really exciting to connect to different writers and translators from around the world in this capacity. Prior to the pandemic, too, we also held events in Shanghai every so often. We've collaborated with um, other groups, such as the Illustrators Collective called Shaving in the Dark. Shanghai Literary Review is also currently administered in partnership with uh, Duke Quinshan University, based outside of Shanghai. And we've had lots of interesting partnerships and other kind of collaborative works over the years that we're very proud of. So please tell us about your other notable works of translation. 
So I have been working on other projects over the years. I don't have anything book length in the pipeline as of yet, although I'm trying, I'm pitching these days. <laughs> That's another yeah, ongoing story. I do work regularly with an organization called Books from Taiwan that supports Taiwanese literature in translation. And through them, I've translated samples of fiction and nonfiction works by contemporary writers. So that's always been nice. And outside of that, I translate on occasion for Chinese art museums and art-related publications. So that's another sort of side project of mine. So how did you get connected to Taiwanese literature? Because you were born in China and lived in U.S., now you are in Japan, and what is the connection? That's a really good question, Anil. Yeah, actually, I think that's also, uh, there's been a misperception of me from time to time. I think one or two people I've come across have assumed that I am also Taiwanese, which I'm not. I guess it's more serendipitous than anything. Yeah, and San Mao herself, I think, is definitely a Taiwanese writer, but I think she would also consider herself a Chinese writer. It's a bit of a blurring of boundaries there in some ways. For me personally, I think Taiwanese literature is quite interesting and I'm definitely not an expert in the realm by any means. I'm interested in Chinese language literatures very broadly. And I guess some of the works that I've been doing just happen to be connected to Taiwan um, in significant ways. Now, are there any serious efforts to bring translations of Taiwanese fiction into English in a structured way. Any organizations that are working for it? Yes, definitely. So as I mentioned, Books from Taiwan is a great resource. I think I could be wrong, but I think many of these organs are at least partially funded by the Ministry of Culture in Taiwan. And so Books from Taiwan is a platform that um, brings Taiwanese contemporary writing to international audiences and publishers. And um, there's also the Taipei International Book Exhibition, which happens in February, and um, other associated um, platforms like that are really trying to share um, what's happening in the Taiwanese literary scene um, and hopefully find publishers in English and other languages for those works. So I want to say that there's a lot of great resources out there for anyone who's interested in Taiwanese literature and Definitely recommend that you check out these websites. They share plenty of things about up-and-coming writers, established writers. They're oftentimes sample chapters from some of the books translated by people like myself and other colleagues. And this also includes not just, let's say, literary fiction and so on, but also manga and things like that, graphic novels. To translate stories of Sahara, but do you have to do any specific research? Yeah, so it was quite interesting for me to work on this project because it's written fully in Chinese, but as mentioned, Samao's husband, Jose, was a Spaniard, and they're living in a sort of Spanish colony and Arabic-speaking land, right? And so oftentimes in the book, sometimes there will be interjections or small transliterated phrases from Spanish or Arabic, particularly proper names of characters, of places, so a lot of that did entail some level of research on my end to look around, try to find the appropriate or the equivalent, the name or the phrase in Spanish and Arabic, which are languages I don't have really any passing familiarity with, or at least with Spanish, I didn't at the time. Yeah, I'm always grateful for 
being a translator in this day and age of the internet? Because I imagine before all this, if I came across something in Spanish or Arabic or a place name that I didn't recognize, I, I'm really we're all lucky to live in this this age when we have so much so many so many resources at our disposal. It was Jose's niece who lives in Madrid. I was able to meet Jose's extended family because Jose Samal's husband, he passed away in the late 70s as well in a diving accident. And I think it wasn't known, they, Samal was known to their family as like this eccentric Taiwanese woman that had come into the family through marriage. But I think only in recent years, like in the past, within the past 10 years, I'd say, did they become um, aware of the full extent of her fame in the Chinese speaking world. I think there's been quite a few documentaries made about Sun Mao, both in Spanish and Chinese, some television specials. There's been a lot more focus and attention drawn to the fact that a Chinese language writer like Sun Mao not only was married to a Spaniard like Jose, but she wrote this collection of stories about their life together. And beyond Stories of the Sahara too, the next collection of her work is about living in the Canary Islands with Jose. And basically, in sum, there's been a lot more attention and interest in Samal's life. And now there's like a commemorative plaque in the city where she used to live. And there are actually like tours that young people or anybody from China can go on, or anybody around the world, I should say, sorry. There are tours that follow Trace Samal's itinerary through the her time in Spain and so on. 44 decades and then some later, she's drawn renewed interest in her life and works. Let's uh, discuss a couple of stories uh, from the book. The first one uh, is The Desert Diner. It's a very nicely written, humorous story. A Desert Diner is one of Samo's most well-known works. And in many editions of Stories of the Sahara, it leads the whole book, right? And it's really like a pithy snapshot of her domestic life with Jose. Essentially, she describes living in what she calls the barons of Africa with her Spanish husband and kind of adopts this kind of cheeky tone and attitude or perspective, thinking about their intercultural marriage. And in, in a few short pages, she really paints a portrait of their particular situation, the dishes that she cooks at home, trying to introduce different Chinese cuisines to him. Meanwhile, she has a sort of playful banter where she tells Jose that the noodles that she cooks are spring rain or it's made of nylon, like fishing thread or something. And so I think like very lighthearted banter and humor really conveys some of the tone of Samo's lighter works. And also I think the dynamic between her husband and herself really comes across nicely in this sort of snapshot. No, the other one is uh, looking for love. That's a nice story too. Beautiful love story. Yeah, looking for love, I know. It, it turns the attention onto one of Samal's neighbors, right? A young man by the name of Salun, who works at a, a grocery store near her house. And I think Samal, in the, among her many fans over the generations of Chinese readers who've come across her work, I think one common thing that comes up is her empathy for the people in her daily life and kind of the way that she's able to view the world with this open and generous heart. And I think you see that in Looking for Love, where she takes pity on this poor young 
clerk who works at a store near her house who apparently has been swindled by a woman to give exorbitant amounts of his own money thinking that they were going to get married and whatnot and i think yeah it, I, for me i think looking for love is also there's quite a few moments in the book where she references she she shares her own perspective onto her neighbor saloon and and how he reminds her of a sad character from a tragic Russian novel or something like that. And Samo was somebody who grew up with a great love of literature, both Western and Chinese. And I think um, a lot of these sensibilities informed her own writing. And I think that comes across in this type of tale for sure. Please read a paragraph from one of the stories in both the Mandarin Chinese and in English. Okay, great. Sure. I'm going to read just a little bit from Looking for Love. 我不明白他为什么不肯来这里，所以我拜托你一定要写信给他，告诉他我他情绪突然很激动，用手托住了头。我现在什么都没有了，他喃喃地说。我赶快将视线转开去，看见这个老实木讷的人这么真情流露，我